Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with your host, Junior Renee Beaubrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. We are in our 73rd episode. It is awesome to be here. Before we get started, if anyone has any questions, concerns, business inquiries, if anyone has any interviews that they want to, that they, uh, any interview shows that they'd like me to be on or, or they would like to be on this platform to speak about some things, any retorts, any counters to things that were spoken about, any congratulations, kudos. Definitely, if you have congratulations and kudos, please leave those as well on the, um, if you're listening via Apple podcast, leave a comment and leave a review. Those always help. That's great leave as many stars as you want they go up to five um but if you have any questions suggestions concerns business inquiries first and foremost you can email me at whose world is this two one at gmail.com that is whose world is this two one at gmail.com also you can reach me on my instagram if you are if you're on instagram actively you can also leave messages in my inbox within a, a couple of days i'll check it and that's whose world is this 2021 that is whose world is this 2021 that's on instagram so please feel free to follow that page and please feel free to leave a dm a message about anything if it's a what's up great show or not so great show or whatever whatever you want to say please feel free hit me up i'm i'm up for it so thank you guys for the cash apps uh, that's dollar sign J U N B E A U. That's J dollar sign J U N B E A U. June Bo. That's also my Venmo account as well. June Bo without the dollar sign. June Bo. Uh, thank you guys for uh, purchasing the journals at ChavezHouse.com. That's C H A V E S House.com. And if you go on Amazon, you can type in Chavez House Publishing and look for the Lenore Batista journals. Every anything. Uh, created or published by Lenore Batista. That's part of the Chavez House brand. And, you, and we have the journals. We have the notebooks, decorative notebooks. We have the fitness logs. We have the how to be a successful self-publisher blueprint authored by Lenore Batista. All of that stuff is located. You can Chavez House Publishing on Amazon and ChavezHouse.com, which will invariably take you to the Amazon <coughs> link as well. Thank you guys for tuning in. What are we going to speak about today? Uh, I spent a great deal of episodes the last couple of episodes. I've spoken about a couple of things. I, um, I spoke about uh, the uh, U.S., Russia, Ukraine. Then I had a departure from that, and I spoke about uh, work-life balance. That's been a robust conversation. The work-life balance, is that a myth, especially for women? Is work-life balance a myth for women who end up wanting to be mothers and wives and and you know and professionals is it a myth can you do it all you know and um that that's brought up that's brought about a lot of conversation we're going to get to that maybe sometime later on in this week in future episodes because the conversation that was sparked from that particular episode <laughs> has been awesome from uh female friends and relatives and uh colleagues <laughs> 
I enjoy it. So you hear me laughing because there's it's so much going on and they're listening. So I'm laughing because a couple of people's faces just popped up into my head and I thought, yeah, that was a great conversation. I'm going to bring that up. Obviously, peop everyone remains nameless, their professions you know, I, everything is anonymous, but they also are very, very happy. The people who listen and who know me and the people who've emailed me are always very grateful that I bring up their, their conversation into this conversation. Things that we speak about in the email, I'll bring it up and say, hey, listen, this was brought up in a conversation and, and my retorts are not sometimes to them. Sometimes I need a minute to think about it. Sometimes I'm you know, I go, you know what? I'll bring that up in the next episode, too. And then sometimes we hash it out in a conversation. And sometimes I ended up hashing it out here with you guys just speaking, you know, doing my own little little mini research and just going through my thoughts. And then I hash it out with you guys. That's the awesome thing about my platform. I'm speaking from my first person perspective, my research, my intellect and the intellect of the people around me, you know, and 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 who surrounds me. And so I, I, I tap into all of that when I do this, you know, and um, that's what helps this show become a robust uh, 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 conversation. I feel why I do. I, am I am I being so bold as to call it a robust conversation? OK, maybe I am, but it is a robust conversation. You know, I do because I listen to a lot of the other conversations that are being had and they're mundane and benign sometimes at, at best, especially when it has to do with the things that affect us the most. You're only going to get real information through long form formats like this, I feel. You're not going to get it from those one and a half minute to two, three minute clips that you're getting online. So, I mean, getting on your corporate established uh, uh, legacy media. In any case, what are we going to speak about today? I'm going to briefly speak about the U.S. v. Russia thing. I think this is the last time I'm going to broach it unless there's some newer conversations that occur about it. Um, <clears throat> why? It's because I'm noticing it's the same conversation. So I'm not going to have the same conversation if it's only one kind of conversation being had. I think I spoke about a lot of things. Um, in, 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 the, uh, in the two, three part series about U.S. v. Russia, I spoke about the refugees. I spoke about proxy wars. I spoke about how why is it that we somehow find empathy for this group, but not that? Why is this considered expansion and this considered aggression? One man's freedom fighter versus another man's terrorist, blah, blah, blah. We spoke on that. But there's one thing I want to speak about in depth right now. And I'm going to do this brief because I'm probably going to move on to another subject. And what is that? I want to talk about sovereignty. I want to talk about that word that gets bandied about a lot over the last two, three, maybe, I don't know, four weeks. And sovereignty. Why? Why? Because when I bring up Russia, Ukraine, United States, and people ask me, what do I think? And I look at the forums and I see the mainstream legacy media you know, who's painted th the invasion as summarily bad and evil, Putin bad, U.S. good, Ukraine victim. That's the dynamic. I hope you I hope we're on the same page. I'm going to slow down, take a deep breath. The dynamic 
as I've seen it, and I tap into the media every once in a blue, I can only stand them for so long, but I don't listen to the media for information. I listen to see how they want to misinform us because I learn what I need to learn by what they don't say. It's what's not said. It's the, it's the read between the lies, and you can read between the lines. That's how I listen. I've said that before. I read between the lines. That's how I read between the lies. So it's what's not said. It's the point of view that's not spoken about, that is necessary to have a well-rounded conversation. The stuff that's missing from the, from the puzzle. It's not, the, it's not the pieces that are there. It's the pieces that you've omitted. Those are the pieces that are important sometimes. So I've been listening, whether you're on the right, on the left, independent, blah, blah, blah. I've been listening. I've been reading. And universally, this is what it's, what it's kind of coming down to. It's Putin bad, Ukraine victim, U.S. good. That's the dynamic. Ukraine has a right to its sovereignty. Ukraine has the right to do business with everyone, anyone it decides to do business with. Ukraine, the U- Russia should not be involved in the Ukraine's business. If the Ukraine wants to absorb itself or, or, or align itself with the United States or European interests, Western European factions, it should be free to do so. We have no right. The Vladimir Putin has no right to intervene. And when I say that Russia still has hundreds of missiles pointed at it from Western allies since the Soviet Union, since the Soviet Union days of the Soviet Union, which no longer exists. This idea that the Soviet Union and Russia are interchangeable in 2020 in the 21st century is wrong. If anyone believes that, that they are not paying attention to actual geopolitics that is on the ground right now. Like I said before, 40 percent of Europe's oil and gas comes from Russia. That happened because of certain concessions that Russian, Russia had to make, a certain level of transparency that had to be reached for Russia, for Europe to actually feel safe and confident enough to purchase that much fuel from Russia, helping Russia become, you know, getting its economy back on track and its nation back on track since the fall of the Soviet Union. So when people say, oh, Soviet Union, Russia, same thing, wrong answer, wrong answer. I've taken tons of international relations classes and political science classes. I can tell you differences, chapter and verse between what the Soviet Union was in the 80s and what Russia is today in 2022. Do you have a KGB, former KGB strongman at the helm? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So (laughs) George Bush was uh, George Bush. The first was the CIA director intelligence officer being a president of a country. Not unprecedented. We did it. And and remember, Ronald Reagan was on trial, practically congressional hearings over Iran, Iraq, Contra. Anybody remember that? Okay, And he did not recall. And at the time, it was Colonel Oliver North and George Bush that were at the helm behind the scenes. Anybody remember how messy that was? And we made that man, George Bush I, the president of the United States for four whole years. Okay. Okay, no problem. Let's get to it. So this idea of sovereignty. Putin has no right. Putin has no right to invade Ukraine. And I say, what obligation does Russia have 
to protect its borders with Ukraine directly on its western border, with Poland directly on its western border, with NATO that was supposed to be disbanded after the fall of the Soviet Union when NATO was only 12 countries, has now increased to 18 more countries, now to 30 countries and counting. When you have over 38 military bases over there, U.S. bases, you have thousands and thousands of United States military personnel in Europe as we speak right now, many of them in Germany, many of those bases in Germany. Does Russia have a right to feel threatened by the United States? But if you are someone who's never looked at the United States' democracy expansion as aggression, what I'm saying sounds foreign to you because you've been taught your whole life, USA good, Russia bad. When, like I said in the previous episodes, United States has the most sophisticated information uh, apparatus that the world has ever seen. We call it Hollywood. We call it media, mass media. The, we've had sociologists, psychologists, paranormal experts. Everyone that you can think of has, has, cre has helped create the apparatus that we have now where we communicate our biases, our prejudices, our, f our, our hopes, our dreams, and our fears. Everything that we are, we pump it through the people, through our television, through our commercials, through our movies. It's how we inform ourselves about people that are around us. Most Americans don't travel outside of the contiguous United States. So what we know about other people, the television tells us. What we know about other people, the movies tell us. See, I'm from New York City, so I know Russians. But if you're from the Midwest, you don't know Russians. If you're from the South, you don't know Russian. If you're from here and there, you don't know Chinese. You don't know this one or that one unless you're going to a takeout restaurant in certain areas. I know Chinese people personally, not just, hey, can I take your order? No. I know foreigners, not just cab drivers. So, But if you're not living in places where there's a certain level of ideological diversity, what you know about the world is told to you by your Hollywood machine, which is the most effective propaganda machine that the world has ever seen it pumps to you what people are and what they are not that's what it pumps so i said before how many times did you see a sympathetic russian figure on your screen hmm? how many times did the russian play the goofy harmless guy or the love interest you know how many russian hugh grants do you have hmm? ah notice that you notice you don't have any of that. You're Russian in, in your, in your, in your uh, dynamic, in your media dynamic, seldom plays, if at all, the sympathetic figure, the hero, whether you're watching Bond or Bourne or Rocky or, 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 or Chuck Norris movies, doesn't matter, Stallone, it's always the big bad communists, the big bad Russians. Never speaking about the United States in a particular position of villainry as, it, as, it, as it's uh, juxtaposed next to a Russian. If it's Russia, Russia bad, U.S. good. Russia bad, England good. James Bond, Russia bad, England good. Whether you're watching Roger Moore, Sean Connery, doesn't matter. Or, 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 or what was that other one's name? I can't remember his name before Daniel Craig. I can't remember. But in any case, um, so... You're sitting there and many, many people who think, okay, capitalism good, communism bad, or socialism, or doesn't matter. 
But the important thing is when people use the word sovereignty, which can be called the supreme power or authority or a self-governing state or the authority of a state to govern itself or another state. This is very, very important, this word, sovereignty, because Putin doesn't have a right to go into Ukraine. That's what, that's what I'm being told. So when people say that to me, I go, okay, all right, fine. Let's go back to Teddy Roosevelt, one of our presidents from the early 1900s. And he had a foreign policy declaration. And he said in cases of flagrant and chronic wrongdoing by a Latin American country, the United States could intervene in that country's internal affairs. Hmm. I'll repeat that. Give me a second. In cases of flagrant and chronic wrongdoing by a Latin American country, the United States could intervene in that country's internal affairs. What is considered wrongdoing? Who gets to make that distinction of flagrant and chronic wrongdoing? Who considers it flagrant and chronic, chronic wrongdoing? Me or you? Or is it the United States' banking interests that may or may not be aligned with mine? The United States' military interests that may not be aligned with mine? The United States' political interests that may or may not be aligned with mine? What's up with those Latin American countries' sovereignty? When the United States had flagrant and chronic wrongdoings, when it was flagrantly segregating its people, flagrantly enslaving its people, no one else had the right to intervene in the United States' affairs, did they? And say, hey, listen, we're here to free the Native Americans from the shackles of this trail of tears and your broken treaties, these human rights violations that are being committed by the United States' government and political, military, and law enforcement apparatus against the Native Americans. Who came? Who came when the United States was enslaving its citizenry, a significant portion of its population that helped build this nation? Who came to um, intervene in our internal affairs? Sounds ridiculous to you, right? That's the thing. It sounds ridiculous if it happens to us, but it doesn't sound ridiculous as you sit here as an American, you sit here on your perch of self-righteousness saying that you have the right to intervene in another country's flagrant or chronic wrongdoings. Hmm? What happened during Jim Crow? Hmm? The 20s when black people were being lynched all over the South, churches being bombed, little girls dying, men being raped, women being raped. All of this was happening all over America. It wasn't just the South. American cities were burning. There were dozens, if not hundreds of cities burning in the United States in the 60s. Was France able to intervene? Was Germany able to intervene? Were England able to intervene and say, hey, listen, man, we can't allow you guys to be um, subjugating, repressing, suppressing a, a significant portion of your society. These are beyond civil rights. These are human rights violations. You have assassinations of major leaders, Medgar Evers, um, um, uh, Malcolm Martin. Um, you have, you're exiling and marginalizing and ostracizing people like uh, Paul Robeson, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Um, we're going to intervene. 
an American would think that's crazy. How dare you? Who do you think you are? We're a sovereign nation. We're the United States of America. You have no right to come over here and tell us what to do. Ah, we'll handle our business and you handle yours. Mind your business. This is our family affair. We're dealing with it. Oh, really? But, but you didn't do that in Paraguay when the United States supported the dictatorship of Alfredo Stressner from 1954 to 1989? Hmm? You didn't do that against Panama. You didn't do that when you, when you, you know, with Manuel Noriega. You didn't do that in Nicaragua. We didn't do that in Guatemala. We didn't do that in DR. We didn't do that in Cuba, Costa Rica, Chile, Brazil, Bolivia, Argentina, Haiti. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. So Russia is not allowed to uh, protect its borders from what it sees as American aggression. And when I mean American aggression or United States aggression or, or Western European forces aggression, when it sees that it has 30 countries that's allied with the U.S. and, and the NATO, there are missiles pointed at Russia and Russian citizens right now as we speak, okay? The United States wanted to have more bases in Poland, and it was saying, we're going to use these bases in Poland to point those missiles at Iran. Because, you know, that's when Ahmadinejad was talking tough talk about nuclear weapons, etc., etc. Meanwhile, he wasn't close to any nuclear weapons. It was all a bunch of hype and rhetoric. But we used it as an opportunity to say, hey, maybe we can seize this opportunity, have some more missiles in Western Europe. Now, if you guys were to take a look at a map just for a moment and take a look at a map of Europe, and the Middle East, there's absolutely no reason for the United States to have missiles in Poland pointed at Iran. There are about four or five countries those missiles would have to travel over to hit Iran. Russia went immediately to the United Nations and said, what the heck is going on, man? Why, why, are the United States, why does the United States want to implement you know, a, a missile uh, a program in Poland to point it at Iran? Hello? France, many, many European countries said, listen, U.S., stop antagonizing. If you want to get to Iran, there are other ways. That's not the way. And were you really trying to get at Iran or did you have other agendas? Wink, wink. Anyone out there who thinks that the United, that the USSR, the Soviet Union and Russia are one and the same, that the 1980s, 1970s, 1960s Russia and um, Soviet Union and Russia are the same in 2022? You are sadly mistaken. You are very much mistaken. The kind of concessions that Russia had to make right now, and I'm not sitting here some sort of Russian sympathizer. I'm putting, what I'm doing here is adding context, a context you're not going to get from most of your media that are just, just, just in glee to talk about the wars and, and fears. Remember that fear matrix we spoke about in, in, in episode one, season one? That first season, we speak about how fear based, how fear lowers your IQ at fear points, your fight versus flight and how your fear mechanism lowers your IQ. And then you start adding emotional adages to your logic. And then all of a sudden your conversation and your your rhetoric becomes convoluted because of your quote unquote fears. So pumping into you right now, the um, oh, my gosh, Russia bad. Ukraine victim, U.S. good. But every time one of these countries decides to be self-sufficient, I notice that a couple of things happen. Go look at your Monroe Doctrine. Let's, let's take a look at Cuba just for a moment. 
Let's take a look at Cuba for a moment. And the reason why I'm bringing up Cuba is because if Ukraine gets to be sovereign and talk to whoever it wants to talk to, then how come Cuba didn't have that opportunity? Why is it that when Cuba decided to align itself with the Russians and the Russians decided that they wanted to put a couple of missiles in Cuba, we were this close to nuclear war? As a matter of fact, if you've read any excerpts from the JFK classified tapes of the Cuban missile missile crisis that occurred around 1961, 1962, I can't remember to be exact. But I read a lot of the excerpts. I didn't read all of them, but I read a book about the, you know, exact that was verbatim quoting the texts and the, the journals of um, McNamara and many people that were on the ground ambassadors and military personnel, high ranking military officers. And there were pilots. There, there was this soldier, this 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 Air Force pilot who said that. It wasn't the wisdom or the restraint of the United States's high brass in the military or its political leaders that averted nuclear war. There was so much going on in international waters 90 miles off the coast of Key West that it took restraint from the soldiers on both sides, both on the Soviet side and the United States' side. It took restraint because they were aggressive actions that were being taken on both sides that both those high-ranking soldiers that were in the water at the time, if they didn't show that restraint, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now or even have the capabilities to have this conversation right now. Many, many experts say that we were more than 50% likely to get into a nuclear conflict with the Russians over the Russians' alignment with Cuba, Cuba, which at that time was a sovereign state, a sovereign country. But listen to me. In 1898, Cuba had liberated itself from Spain after a long fight. U.S. did not want any of that. So it invaded Cuba again to prevent the independence struggle from succeeding. What happened to this word sovereignty again? <laughs> And if you listen to a lot of the professors and people of that nature and academics, the Cuba before 1959 was called a virtual colony of the United States. That's what we called it. We called it a virtual colony. Now, the United States does not have a problem. Americans, and like I said, I'm going to call us out on this. I'm going to call each and every American out on this. And I'm going to use this word lightly. Hypocrisy. Or lighter contradiction. There's a contradiction if you think that Ukraine deserves sovereignty and Cuba does not. Because you may not like the government that Cuba is aligned with. Ah, you may not like the political ideology that Cuba is aligned with. So now because of that, you have a problem. Because think about this. What if the Ukraine wanted to realign itself with Russia? And the United States was intervening, saying that, oh, now all of a sudden there are human rights violations and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Because remember one thing. Everybody's giving this uh, president of Ukraine all of these props, Zelensky, for being such a leader in, in war times. Anybody remember that um, he was part of a coup that helped depose a democratically elected president? Whoops. Whoops. Anybody want to have that conversation? 
This is the thing, people, that we're going to have to get out, get, get out there. When the coup happened in 1959 and Fidel Castro took office in Cuba, and, and Cuba was no longer a virtual colony of the United States, the United States said it has to do everything in its power so, it, so what Fidel was doing in Cuba did not infect the rest of the Caribbean and South America into thinking they can go their own way and to form governments that the United States uh, or even a form of democracy that we didn't agree with. I spoke about that. There were many, many democratically elected governments and, and, and leaders who said, hey, listen, we want to be in business with the United States. Come on, we want to be partners. We want to be allies. We want to be friends. We want robust trade, tourism, um, um, visas, uh, easy visa entries. But we would also like to say, hey, listen, we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not just, it's not going to be this unilateral relationship where you tell us what to do, what you, how you like things to be done your way. I'm a sovereign. We're a sovereign nation. You're a sovereign nation. You may have a couple of hundred million people and I may have 10, 15 million people. It doesn't matter. I'm still sovereign and you're still sovereign. The U.S. doesn't like that. Guess what? You, you will be um, the victim of a coup d'etat. If you don't believe me, ask Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Costa Rica, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Panama, Paraguay, Haiti, and the list goes on and on and on. Bay of Pigs. How many dozens of, of, of assassination attempts on Fidel Castro? And let me explain something about Mr. Fidel Castro and the Castro family. Whatever he's accused of being dictator, ruthless, brutal, communist whatever i'm gonna say this and listen to me closely he's not half as brutal of many of the south american dictators that the united states has sponsored remember what the cia used to say he may be a dictator but he's our dictator he may be a dictator but he's our dictator when you are not the united States's dictator then you become a villain but if you're on if you are in aligned with the united states's military interests banking interests you can put as many black bags over reporters heads you can kill as many kill and jail and exile and assassinate as many dissidents and as many people who dissent i'm sorry who, who, who criticize and will oppose your regime as you want as long as you are playing ball with our economic interests so when i hear people use the word sovereignty and ukraine sovereignty where was the Cuban sovereignty. Hmm? Where was that? Where were people when it came to that? This is very, very important because the Cuban Missile Crisis got us this close to being in nuclear war. And it's, and it's very similar in regards to the encroachment that the United States is doing on the borders of Russia. And Russia was encroaching on the, the, the international waters and borders of the United States. We had a problem with that. So much of a problem that about, I don't know, less than 20 years, less than 20 years, because we dropped a bomb in Hiroshima. We're the only country, by the way, to drop an atomic bomb on another country, a nuclear bomb, atomic bomb. And I think that was in 1945 or something like that, right, Hiroshima? So now it's 1961. So what are we talking about? What is that, 16 years? So less than 20 years later, here we are at it again. At it again. And we came more than 50% higher than 50% likelihood of another nuclear war, all because of what? Because Russia was encroaching 
was in Cuba. Just the United States is in the Ukraine. Now, it's hard for you guys to maybe see the United States as a villain in the movie. I get it. Or maybe someone who's less than heroic or maybe an entity or an apparatus that's less than heroic. I know it. I understand how you've been pumped, filled with whatever um, 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 subsidized patriotism. It's difficult to suspend it for a moment and go, you know what, man? What the heck are we doing over there? Got Why do we have missiles pointed at Russia? What would I do if you, what would you do if you were Vladimir Putin right now? And that's the question I ask every single last person when I pose them with all of this information. What would you do with the United States' history in South America, with the United States' history in Africa, with the United States' history in the Caribbean? And now you see the United States pointing missiles and having bases all over your western borders. What would you do if you were the Russian president? With knowing what you know now, what would you do? Many of them had to concede that, you know what, June, I, I, I would possibly be more, you know, inclined to do something along the lines of he's doing what, what he's doing. I'm like, oh, it's hard to suspend our belief system. Let's take the Philippines. This is not by accident that a lot of those Asians over there have Spanish names like Reyes. You never asked yourself why? Hmm? Never asked yourself why? That the Philippines was one of the most murderous colonial wars in history? Hundreds of thousands of Filipinos were slaughtered. Hundreds of slaughter slaughtered. You know what Teddy Roosevelt said about that? He said, we must continue to kill the natives in English fashion until they come up until they come to respect our arms and ultimately to respect our good intentions. Did you hear what I just said? Do you want me to repeat what Teddy Roosevelt, our president, said about the massacre that occurred in the Philippines? Okay, when there was intervention after the Philippines was attempting to win its independence from Spain. Do you want to hear what he said? Would you like me to repeat that? He said, we must continue to kill the natives in English fashion until they come to respect our arms and ultimately to respect our good intentions. So we're killing you for your greater good. We're massacring you by the hundreds of thousands for your greater good because you have the nerve and the audacity to think that you can be self-determinant and fight a colonial power and win against a colonial power. The United States had deep-seated fears and issues of countries ridding itself of colonial rule. When Cuba rid itself of colonial rule in 1898 and said, hey, I'm independent. Hey, U.S., let's talk. Nope. Put this sock in your mouth. Get this foot in your behind and get back in line. Who, who told you you can be sovereign? Whoop. 1804, Haiti gets its independence from France, takes over the whole island of Hispaniola. I'm sorry, of Haiti, which was called Hispaniola by the colonists takes over the whole island and for a moment the Haitians ruled the whole island there was no Dominican Republic it was Haiti period Haitians wanted to meet with the United States and said hey we have our revolutionary war just like you had your revolutionary war in 1776 you guys beat out the English we beat out the French English and Spanish so what's up let's talk Haiti's United States said eh 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 no, 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 no. We are not recognizing you as a sovereign state. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because when people tell me that Ukraine has a right to its sovereignty, I go, yeah, okay. Okay, but sovereignty has its limits. There is no such thing as ultimate authority. We are all interdependent. Now, I feel, and if you do you want my opinion? 
Do you want my opinion? This is what I believe. This is going to be controversial, guys. Zelensky had an obligation to keep the Ukrainians safe. And the best way for the Ukrainians to be safe was to remain neutral. Because he knows, or maybe he doesn't, but if I, let me, put, let me put it in other words, if I were in Zelensky's shoes, I were the president of the Ukraine, and the United States is courting me, okay, um, I know Russia has a 40% of its oil going, th- Russia has pipelines in the Ukraine, it's sending uh, oil to Russia, it's sending oil to Europe, <clears throat> and gas to Europe, that gives Russia a certain uh, level of influence in sort of political affairs and military actions and economic actions that are occurring in Europe and all over the world. The United States does not want its hegemony right now interrupted or interfered with. So it looks at Russia as a threat. So it says, "Uh -uh." so it's in Ukraine, Ukraine, why don't you come down with us? And, you know, you know, let me put a little base here. Let me, if I were the president, I would go, Hey, listen, I'm on the border. I'm on the Russian border. You're making things increasingly difficult for me to have peaceful relations with Russia. Because if you guys decide to fight, if if this man invades, if Russia invades me and you guys now have to give me aid and give me military aid. And now my country is going to be blown into oblivion and we're going to have to build back up again. I'd like to avoid that. And I think one of the main ways to avoid that is to create a sort of bilateral situation where I'm going to do business with you with to a certain degree and I'm going to do business with my Russian neighbor to a certain degree I'm going to do business with my Russian my other European counterparts to a certain degree my African counterparts my South American counterparts but listen do not over leverage me do not look to absorb me into your agendas because I'm the one who's going to suffer. My people are going to suffer. And I would speak to the U.S. as frankly as that. I don't care how many billions of dollars in aid and upgrades you want to do. You want to build skyscrapers all over Ukraine, make us look like the new Dubai. Yeah, at what cost? Oh, you got to do things our way. What about my sovereignty? Oh, well, you know, well, if you want this aid and you want this package and you want this aid package and you want this, 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 this financial economic agreement and pact and treaty, you're going to have to do things a certain kind of way. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because this is antagonistic behavior and it's going to be interpreted as antagonistic. Hmm. That's sovereignty, people. There's no such thing as some absolute rule. There's no such thing as some sort of absolute power where I get to do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it. Especially when you have people in your stead that have voted you in and elected you to keep them safe from foreign aggressors, from outside actors and internal actors. Keep them safe and prosperous. That's your number one job. That's your number one job as a leader. So this idea that, oh, yeah, you know, Ukraine is sovereign. You know, they should be able to do what they want. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as do what you want whenever you want to do it. There's no such thing. It's absolutely no such thing. The U.S. would like to do that. And oftentimes it does move in that direction. 
but it it it, it um cloaks it in what Teddy Roosevelt put so eloquently in the early part of the 20th century. He said, we must continue to kill the natives in English fashion until they come to respect our arms and ultimately to respect our good intentions. We mask our colonization, our neocolonialism. We mask our, our interventions. We mask our undermining of sovereign nations and we call it good intentions and we call it spreading democracy. Really? Meanwhile, oftentimes, we're installing dictatorships, re removing democratic regimes because they're installing democracies and governments that want to be more dot, 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 sovereign. There's that word again. So when I keep hearing that word, I've heard it bandied about among, with friends, and then I heard it bandied about in the media, and I'm saying wrong, 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 wrong. That's it's it simplifies this situation and it does great violence to the truths that are on the ground as it pertains to international relations. Your sovereignty is an interdependent working and web between different nations and ideologies and economics. So you're leveraging your sovereignty in one minute. You may be more you have you may have more leverage in this free trade agreement with this particular country. But yet in that look at what's going on in Cuba. It's, it's the worst and most crippling sanctioning situation in the history of the world. It is over 40 years that the United States has sanctioned the country. The United States has been brought up on charges. Some, some countries have said it gone as far as to say the United States should be brought up on war crimes for sanctioning a country like Cuba. Still looking to see how can we choke this country and choke any other country that thinks they want to go the route of, let's say, Cuba. So we never get to see what Cuba could have actually been when you consider these sanctions. Where you choke the people on the ground and then the people on the ground blame their own government. Oftentimes, and do, does their government have a certain amount to blame? Absolutely. The Cuban government has a lot to blame to take to, to what their people are going through. However, it's interestingly enough that you sanction people that have nothing to do with your issue with said government. So guess what? The people on the ground starve and you hope that they starve enough where they have nothing else to lose. And guess what? They storm the castle and then all of a sudden they're gone. Then the Castros are gone and then you can have a regime that is more friendly to your interests in its stead. But in the meantime, people starve. People don't get the, the kind of care they need, the benefits they need, the food they need, the, the modern accoutrements that the rest of the world is, it gets to take advantage of because they're not playing the proper kind of basketball, the proper kind of ball. But we're okay with, with that kind of uh, 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 internal uh, wrangling, okay, with that level of manipulation. We're okay with that. We're okay with that. And I have a problem with that. I have a problem with people that are okay with that and then get mad at Russia. You can't get mad at Russia for invading the Ukraine if you were not mad at JFK for playing a big boy ball, a swinging in a measuring contest with Russia. You were okay with the Bay of Pigs. If you were okay with the Bay of Pigs, if you were okay with the dozens of assassination attempts on Fidel Castro's life, if you're okay with four decades of sanctions against a sovereign nation, if you're okay with that, then you have to be okay with Russia 
doing the same exact thing to the Ukraine, what the United States was doing and is still doing to Cuba today. You may not like Russia's politics, but what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You may not like Putin. You may not like uh, the Russia's history. They don't like yours either. Your history. They know more of your history than you do. Like I said, I, I, and it's not propaganda what they know. They're not taught a, an anti-U.S. Uh, 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 form of history. They just tell the story without the hero at the end, without the U.S. being the hero at the end of it. You know, that's that's the story. So when they tell the story of Allende and Papa Doc and Baby Doc and this one and Noriega and that one, it, it's 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 you don't know those stories, even though they're right off the coast of your country, even though all of your carnival and your Royal Caribbean cruise ships cross over to all of these countries. Yeah. And you don't know the blood that's shed to have your Chiquita bananas and your Dole fruits at the price that they are. Hmm? You don't you don't know the bloodshed that was done in agribusiness. So you can have American companies operating as agribusiness uh, companies in South America and the Caribbean. You don't know these stories, but you know what? The rest of the world does. And the rest of the world is deathly afraid that 50 percent of the gun toting population is 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 owned of the world's gun toting population is owned by the most misinformed people because Americans don't know anything about America about American history about geopolitics they know what they're told like Roger Ailes said Americans want to feel informed they may not want to be informed a lot of the things that have gone on all throughout these countries where we do, we do not turn out to be the hero where we use words like democracy and, and nation building it's been the opposite it's the total opposite it's a play on words and I'm not indicting the US for that I'm saying hey it's a game of thrones right hey Power is, power is as power does. To attain, maintain, and sustain power. If that's your game, then that's your game. But all I'm saying is when I see Russia, Ukraine, United States, I see the same Game of Thrones that I've been, see that I've been reading about, experienced in my lifetime, and read about for, for all these decades. And it's going on since before I was born. It was going on in my mother's lifetime when she was a young girl. That's what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, you, you don't have a problem with Bay of Pigs and Cuban Missile Crisis? Then you can't have a problem with this. They are parallel. And if you're using the word sovereignty, up, that's where I go, whoop, sovereignty. Whoa, when have we ever cared about sovereignty? What does that mean? Sovereignty will allow you to be as sovereign as, as long as we're friendly with what you're doing. That's the level of sovereignty, your compliance. So sovereignty is some sort of, it's an oxymoron. When you, especially if you're dealing on thi in this hemisphere, and it doesn't matter, ask the Filipinos, ask the Vietnamese what sovereignty is, ask the Koreans, North and South, what sovereignty is. When you decide, eh, I don't, I don't, wanna, be, I don't wanna be a capitalist. Hmm? See how sovereign you become then. I don't wanna be a capitalist. I'm brown. And I want to be a socialist. What? <laughs> I'm brown. I don't want to be a communist. Now what? I'm colored. I want to do this. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with you on those terms. I want to, I'm going to deal with you with this. And I'm going to deal with the Russians and other people on that. I'm going to deal with the Muslims with this. I'm going to deal with them and that. And then I'll deal with you on this. U.S. goes, I'm sorry. Excuse me. We laugh. We go, I'm sorry. What? Dude, if you don't do it this way, 
you'll wake up tomorrow morning and your country will be in shambles and our names will not be on it. Like I said, I'm not going to. None of the stuff I'm saying right now is hyperbole. I'm not making this stuff up as I go along. I'm not giving you my interpretation. Read Teddy Roosevelt. Read what he said about the world. Look at what Woodrow Wilson did in the Caribbean. Look at what Teddy did. Look at what Dwight, ha Dwight Eisenhower did. Look, I'm sorry, Teddy, then Woodrow, then Dwight, D the JFKs. I'm sorry, and all of the other presidents. Look, look at, if you, if you can read a book on the excerpts or read a book on the JFK tapes or read a book on the Richard Nixon tapes, don't, don't take my word for it. There are countless books that say, hey, this is how we make sure our hands are not on regime changes that happen in South America so we don't have to deal with the noise coming from the World Health or the World Trade Organization or, or the United Nations, which have no teeth when it comes to the United States because, like I said, everyone is trading on U.S. currency and we have the biggest, baddest military that the world has ever seen. We have more nuclear weapons than all of the nuclear powers combined and then some. So we, you're using the USD and we have more guns than you. Okay, there's a song called The What? The song called The What? It's on the Ready to Die album by the notorious Biggie Smalls. And The What features one of my favorite rappers of all time or two of some of my favorite rappers of all time is Biggie Smalls, which is one of my favorites, and Method Man from the Wu-Tang Clan, which is one of my favorites. Rest in peace to Biggie. He died March 9th, uh, not of this year, many years ago. Um... I think it was March 9th, was that 97? Can't remember, 96, 97, unfortunately. And um, there's a line, I love this line, where Method Man says, I have more Glocks and text than you. I'll make it hot. People won't even stand next to you. I love hip-hop lines because hip-hop, to a certain degree, its brash and its arrogance is a microcosm of the world that it comes from. It's coming from the American situation. It's coming from New York. It's coming from the arrogant, entitled New Yorker, the arrogant, entitled American, the we're number one. Because if America's number one, New Yorkers consider themselves the number one Americans. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? I know that for a fact, being a, a native New Yorker. For many, many years, we look at ourselves. I have abandoned that brashness that, that makes me look as if I'm superior to other states. I don't do that. I used to. Until I went to other states, I'm like, yo, this is kind of dope here. It's different. But when, and then I visited other countries because I, ha I come from a Caribbean background and I visit the Caribbean quite often as a kid. I, I was able to um, dismiss my sort of New York brashness. Do I have a certain level of confidence? Absolutely. Coming from coming in and, and, and uh, overcoming some of the things that I overcame 100 percent. But New Yorkers tend to if America is considered number one. If you got someone in Wyoming, in Nebraska, who thinks America's the best country, imagine what a dude who's in Manhattan thinks. Imagine what a New York City kid thinks. If America's number one, New York City people think they're the number one Americans. So when you listen to certain hip-hop songs, especially from the late 80s to the late 90s, a solid, it's very American. The rhetoric, the confidence, the brashness, the in-your-faceness of hip-hop music, is very American. 
it's 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 a it's a reflection it's america's dark reflection it's hip-hop music i got i have more glocks and text than you i'll make it hot people won't even stand next to you when the united states says hey listen bruh yeah i know you want to do it that way that sounds good sounds great awesome but that's not how it's going to be done this is what we want to do and then you say no and then you go you know you have a speech and you have some rabble-rousing speech speaking about how sovereign you are and you are not beholden to Western powers. You are such and such. We are such and such. So while you're saying we're Americans, that country's saying we're Bolivians, we're Argentinians, we're number one too, we're doing our thing. And the U.S. goes, yeah, <sighs> about that. See, we just can't allow that line of rhetoric to keep going. So guess what? We have more Glocks and text than you. We'll make it hot people won't even stand next to you cuba we're going to sanction you for 40 years we'll make it hot people won't even stand next to you hey haiti you want to know what destabilization and being a stateless nation looks like we'll make it hot people won't even stand next to you we will cons we will cons we will consistently over decades over centuries even to treat you like a cautionary tale of what not to do, self-determinate. No, 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 no. We don't do that over here on this side. Your, your idea of self-determinate will help determine what your idea of self-determination is. Will help determine what your level of sovereignty is. Let, a, let us work on that together. <laughs> uh, the reason why I'm laughing is because I'm not as emotionally invested as everybody else. I guess I'm sort of like a doctor in an ER. I think I mentioned this before. Um, a doctor in an ER, they patch up one bloody patient and they move on to the next one. And they have to have a certain level of emotional de detachment. And that comes from reading history. That comes from understanding history. That comes from understanding that these things happen in cycles. And understanding that power, the attaining, maintaining, and sustaining of power is not bloodless. Every single road that we have paved, why we can call our states the United States and we have the borders that we have, it's all dripping in blood. So when people say things like, I hope there's not another war, I go, <laughs> dude, <laughs> I hope it's not World War Three. I'll say it again. Ask Syria what they're going through. Ask the Venezuelans, the five point plus million uh, Venezuelans that have been displaced over the last four or five years. Ask the, Af ask the Africans that are drowning off the coasts of, 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 of Africa, of, of North Africa, trying to get into Europe, attempting to get into Europe using some sort of inflatable raft or a, or a makeshift bathtub. And, and think of the conditions that they're leaving. I'm telling you right now, a lot of the conditions that those Africans are leaving are more dire than the conditions that the Ukrainians are leaving. That's factual and actual. So when people keep speaking about World War Three, World War Three, I'm like, hey, listen, man, if you look at how the world, 84.6 displaced people, misplaced people in the world right now, 25% of them are children under the age of 18, minors. They will be sold into sex slavery, trafficked, forced labor, don't tell me about World War Three. You're in it. You're in it. Don't think that all of these countries have these weapons and they're just going to put them on their shelves. These are not trophies. These things have a use. Somebody's going to press their button. Hmm? 
I don't care how classic that car is you have in your garage, that air-conditioned, laminated, floored garage that you have with the spotlight. I don't care how pristine you have it. You're going to take it out one day. You're going to put at least one or two miles on that car per year. You're going to drive it. Yeah, I know you take it to shows and you flatbed it everywhere and you're like, no, I can't. Yeah, but you're going to take that toy out. You're going to take it for a spin. One of these countries are going to take one of their nuclear weapons for a spin. We've already done it twice to Japan. And then 15 plus years later, 16, we were about to do it again to Cuba and Russia. Okay? Okay? You have military exercises happening off the coast of North Korea, etc., etc. This is what it is, people. This is what it is. Everything that we have, we are a beneficiary of bloodshed. I told you again, look up Blood Coltan, C-O-L-T-A-N, in the Congo. Look up Blood Diamonds. Look up Blood Copper. Look up Blood Timber. All the items that we have, those suicide nets that, that, that are, that are um, outside the windows of certain factories in Asia where workers just have had enough and they jump out of the window as opposed to spending one more indignant minute working in these facilities. But that's how we get our goods and, pro goods and services, huh? Do you care? So when people tell me about sovereignty, did you care about Argentina, Bolivia, Nicaragua, Panama, Haiti, DR? El Salvador, did you care? No, you didn't. Because the U.S. fed you some story and you said, yeah, democracy, nature, nation building, human rights, right, right, right. Oh, Cuba, bad, U.S. good, Russia, bad, U.S. good, Ukraine victim. Simple, I like it. The people that are telling you what it is are masters at framing, masters at framing narratives and making it simple for the average American or the average citizen, no matter what country they're in. Make it simple. Who's the victim? Who's the hero? Who's the villain? End of story. Hmm? You have your thesis, your antithesis, and your synthesis. Put it together in some sort of a Hegelian soup, and then bang. There you have it. Pops out the other end, and you think you have a, a, an argument or a conversation. Oh, US, uh, Russia has no right to intervene. And then I start bringing in different narratives and factors and people go, oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, I know. I, I know you didn't. And no one who's informing you wants you to think that. No one who's informing you wants to say, hey, Biden, we need that hundred million over here. Remember that shutdown that you've had for the last two years where you're mandating people to put things into their body that is now proven to be sort of <laughs> ineffective. Just saying. With the studies coming out about natural immunity and things like that, it's saying, yeah, I can't really, can I blame the, can I actually attribute some of these lower cases to the vaccine or natural immunity? Oh, it depends on who you're reading. Oh, we have experts on this side, experts on that side. These people graduated from the same school. You're both from Johns Hopkins. You're both from Harvard Medical School. You say yay, you say nay. Who am I to believe? But that's what I mean by the ongoing conversation. We didn't have ongoing conversations about shutdowns. Now you're sending hundreds of millions of dollars to the Ukraine because you want to make sure that Russia doesn't have more power in Europe. So this is a Game of Thrones, people, and you're getting thrown in it thinking that you're a hero, villain, victim, thinking it's that's just that simple. No, 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 it's not. Guess what? When it comes to politics, it never is. 
or sometimes it is if you look at it from the, from the angle I look at it. So I don't look at it as a World War Three situation. And if it is, so what? Then we're gone. And enough of this mortal coil will shuffle off and do some other things on some other dimension if this if there is such a thing. You think we're supposed to be here forever? Empires, empires rise and empires fall. This is how this works, people. Proxy wars. I've seen this game played already. I've seen this movie. I know, the, and, and it's been, it's with the same actors. And it's scary to me that we haven't learned as people a thing. And here I am, I'm probably, I'm younger than most of the people that I'm having these discussions with. Like I said, I had a professor one of my professors who, um, you know, learned scholar, three, four, five decades in the field, whatever, you know, his parents raised him overseas and he was all over the place, just studied at the Austrian School of Economics and blah, 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 every credential and published journal. And he took certain issue with my stance on what was going on in Russia and this, that, and the third. And, you know, we were speaking about certain things and. At the end of our conversation, he had to, you know, say, June, you know what? You're right. I didn't look at it that way. I'm like, this man goes all across the planet espousing authoritative rhetoric because he's a double doctorate and he has published journals and he's credentialed. And in a 28 minute, I timed it, 28 minute conversation, I hit him with the Mayweather bong right on the chin. Like, what are you talking about? And he had to stand corrected. I'll never mention him by name, you know, of course, but you know, he wouldn't have a problem with it, but he listens and I'll, and you know, I know he may not like that Mayweather line, but it's true. I countered. And I, the reason why I say Mayweather is because Mayweather is one of the greatest counter punches ever in boxing history. One of the greatest, not the, but not the, but one of the greatest counter punches, which means someone, swings at him and he's able to react and counter them with something with a more effective counter punch. My counter argument trumped my professor's assertion about the U.S. good, Russia bad, Ukraine victim when I broke down all the pieces. This is a man who studied in Russia. This is a man who has Russian colleagues, economists, and people that he's on panels with. This is a man who's visited Russia since the Cold War until now. And told me how different Russia is till now, how Europeanized it is, how how cosmopolitan Moscow is in St. Petersburg and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, it's totally different. The politics, the this, the that and the third. So I'm like, OK, so you're telling me that what we're hearing on the news about Russia is not consistent than what actually, you know, parts of, you know, the main urban centers are. He said, oh, yeah, it's totally different. No, what you're hearing on the news is nonsense. And I'm like, are you not making my points for me? And he just stopped. It's like, I mean. Are you not making my point about, <laughs> but I just want to keep it on this, this idea. I want to keep it there with this idea of sovereignty, that this idea that Russia has no right to invade the Ukraine, no right, zero right. Mm, I don't know about that. If you're playing the game of thrones, the power game of attaining, maintaining, sustaining power. If my job and my obligation as a head of state is to protect my citizenry from what I consider or can interpret to be national security threats that are existential. Hmm. We're having another conversation, aren't we? That's what the United States thought. 
It's an existential threat. It's a threat to national security, threat to the freedom, justice, and democracy of our land. This is a threat to our way of life, etc., 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 etc. Hmm, we're going to bomb Cuba into the ocean and we're going to Cuba into, you know, we're going to kill all the birds, bees, trees, and leaves, baby. We were that close because the Russians were over there cozying up, you know, playing footsie with the, with the, with the, with the Cubans. We didn't like that. Oh, you want to put missiles where? In Cuba? 90 miles off of our coast? Yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, you're not doing that. Uh-uh. Okay? Cuba lost the most of its power after the Soviet Union dissolved. Okay? Because Soviet Union was subsidizing many of the sugar crops that are Cuba. Cuba has great sugar. And who was buying most of Cuba's sugar was Russia. Because the sanctions and embargoes had already began. So Russia was subsidizing the Cuban economy by buying up all of its sugar. When the Soviet Union fell, part of Cuba's economy pretty much collapsed along with the fall of the Soviet Union. And, and the United States still saw fit to have the worst and most stringent embargoes and sanctions ever. And we sit there and we call Fidel Castro a brutal dictator, the Castro family brutal. I'm telling you, he's not one-tenth. I'm telling you, look it up. He's not one-tenth. If everything we say about him is true, if everything that the Cubans say he did, he did, what the United States said he did, he did. Let's just say every single last thing about what's been said through the United States media and through Cuban uh, 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 exiles and refugees. If everything they said about him is true, he's still not one-tenth the monster that the United States has supported throughout the Caribbean and South America. Yes, I said it. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. I stand on that. And I challenge anyone who wants to go do a, 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 a thorough review of U U.S. interventions via Teddy Roosevelt. You can go back to the 1800s. You can go back to the mid to late 1800s to 1990. And tell me and look at the people that were installed. And if you don't want to do that, start with the 1900s. Start with Teddy and Woodrow. Start with Teddy Roosevelt. Let's start from, start from the 19, start from 1901 to 1990. 90 years. Yeah, give or take a century. Come back to me. Come back to me and tell me is Fidel top 10 on that list. I tell you and you'd be like, mm, not really. Like I said, if everything we say about him is actual and factual, still, you'd still wouldn't be able to put him top 10. That's facts. That's facts. But I digress. Sovereignty. I want people to take a good look. I want, what I want is that $100 million that the United States sent. I think it was that much. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, Matter of fact, I, something I don't like to do is actually look stuff up while I'm on the computer talking to you guys. Um, I don't like to look things up. A million to Ukraine. I think that's the number I saw. Uh, oh, yeah. Britain pledges 100 million to Ukraine. Ukraine has received over 100 million in U uh, Biden aid package. Lawmakers unveiled a $13.6 billion Ukraine aid package on Wednesday. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, guys? Oh, 
oh, there was a hundred million dollar military aid package. So I was right on that end. But there's a thirteen point six billion dollar Ukraine aid package right now. OK. You see that, guys, that's what happens when you print your own money. That's the reason why Russia and other countries can't. We print our own money. So we print it. It's not, it's not based on anything. We find ways to manipulate our market to make sure that our the value of our money actually stays to a certain to a certain level. That's why we're able to push everybody's money down and push our money up. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of levers and controls that go into that. I won't get into that. You can look it up. Thirteen point six billion dollars. I want that money. I want that money here in the United States of America. I want America to get great again after the last two years of this foolery of shutdowns and mismanaging of governments in, in, in most of the union, most of our uh, 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 contiguous United States. Got truckers in Canada angry. You have United States truckers going to the Capitol. Every working people are saying enough is enough already. Stop squeezing us. 30 percent. 40% increase in rent. I just went to the gas station and it's $5 a gallon right now. Really? And we're going to blame that on what? U.S. consumption? Wrong. Can't blame it on that. Can't blame it on consumer demand. Oh, you're going to blame it on, oh, oh, because a couple of people got some three, four, five dollar raises. Oh, yeah, that's commensurate with inflation because, oh, no, because the apparatus says, OK, if I have to pay you more money, I have to charge more money. You don't necessarily have to, but you're doing it anyway. OK. You don't necessarily have to. The same executive powers that were used to coerce people to take to put foreign substances in their body. That, that had barely been researched to the point to make it something that should be a uniform legislation. The same executive powers that were used by Justin Trudeau in Canada <clears throat> to open up the banking records of, the, of those truckers that were protesting for their, for their rights to be, guess what, sovereign individuals. Uh-oh, there goes that word sovereign again. There goes that word sovereign again. If you're not sovereign over your own body, it's the same thing. I could, I, I could have used that as a parallel. There are people who say, I'm sovereign. I may be a citizen, but I'm sovereign. But, oh, no, wait, you're sovereign. But guess what? At a red light, you got to stop because, you know, there's an interconnecting. So your safety and the safety of people around you and the greater good. Oh, wait a minute. So my sovereignty as a human being, I have the right to do such and such with my body. I have the right. I have the right. I'm sovereign. Oh, yeah. Until the state tells you do this or else. We can take your rights and privileges away. We may not be able to take your rights away, but we can take your privileges away. And then we start to decide for you what is a right and what is a privilege. And it's the same people who speak about sovereignty that are OK with the government telling you to do things in its greater good. Because the government, oh, it's OK. You know, take this shot. Oh, yeah, because it's going to help. And, and what if someone says, no, I don't want to take that. I'm sovereign. I'm a sovereign human being. I have control and authority over myself. Hmm. I'm a self-governing. I'm supreme. I'm the supreme power authority over my body and my, hum and my human self. That's what sovereign is, by definition. Supreme power or authority. Oh. <clears throat> you have people out there that say, I don't answer anybody. I answer to God or I just, I don't answer. Mm. No, you can't tell me to put that in my body or else. 
You can't tell me to do that. Oh, well, yeah, sir, we're going to. Yes, you have to. No, you can't tell me to get a driver's. You can't tell me to get an ID. You can't tell me to do this. Well, yes, we can, sir. Or you're not going to be able to take care of or do A, B, C or D. Oh, but I'm sovereign. Oh, so you realize how interdependent your sovereignty is with everything else. There's an interconnectivity with your sovereignty. As a human being. As a state actor as a country, as a non-state actor, this idea of sovereignty, it's kind of muddled, isn't it? It's really <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> Get what I'm saying? See how, mu see how funny it gets? So that $13.6 billion aid package that's being sent to Ukraine, hey, guess what? Why don't, why don't we um, reduce that by $13.6 billion? I'm sorry. Or why don't we reduce that by 10 billion and give $3.6 billion package with as many people that are suffering right now in this country who can't afford to rent where they rent and they can't afford to leave to pay the new rent and can't afford to buy anything. They can't afford to buy cars that are 30% more. Why? Because of all of these countries that had these inept shutdowns, you have circuits and microchips that aren't being made, that aren't being created to put new cars on the road. So now a used car is costing more than a new car. Rent and housing has gone up 30, 40 percent in certain areas. The gas is up 30, 40 percent. I was paying two dollars and some change for it a couple years ago. Now I'm paying five bucks a gallon as of today. What are we talking about? Aid package? Oh, this is a distractionary measure. More proxy wars. Elephants collide and the grass suffers. You are the grass, ladies and gentlemen. 13.6 billion going over there. 100 million going over there. You think that's for the Ukrainian people? Tear jerk, tear jerk, rub cheek, rub cheek, rub tear duct. No, this is strategy. This is strategic. This is the United States looking to align itself more with Ukraine. Saying, you see, Russia bad, U.S. good, Ukraine victim. Come, take money. Come to our side. Yeah, we're going to now obstruct certain pipelines and no sanctions. Oh, no. Now Europe is not going to want to have um, Russia's oil anymore. And we're going to have control over that Ukrainian pipeline. Remember that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, was on a Ukrainian pipeline commission in 2018, 2019. Hmm. Elephants collide. Grass suffers. Bankers, politicians, military contractors, military contracts win. $100 million military package, who wins? Boeing, military manufacturers win. Military manufacturers win. Oh, we get to build more guns. Woo-hoo. Build more tanks. Build more helicopters. Build more rifles. Awesome. $100 million. Awesome. How you feeling right now? How you feeling? Am I saying don't help the Ukrainian people? I'm not saying that. I'm saying right now that the United States is to a certain degree in a state of emergency. Don't let these numbers. Oh, yeah. Unemployment fell this week by such and such percent. And Wall Street's numbers are up. The index, the stock index is up uh, 38 points or 150 points. It was a record high today. Do you feel like you're having a record high in your investment portfolio? Oh, no, you're, you're dealing with record high prices and record low salaries. Forget about these salary increases. $15 an hour is not any real money. 
I remember that. I remember those numbers in the early 2000s. That used to be money. That wasn't even money in the late 90s, early 2000s. Now you're still 20 years later talking about $15 an hour as an actual political uh, 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 firebrand, a political actual topic is 15 bucks an hour. Really? I know people who wear suits and ties every day and get $12, $13 an hour. As a matter of fact, the state that I'm in right now pays substitute teachers 11 to 12 bucks an hour to be a substitute teacher. You need to have a bachelor's degree. Are you kidding me? Burger King pays 10 bucks an hour with just a GED. But you're telling me to sit in front of a classroom with a college degree as a college educated human being and sit there and teach the youth, you're going to pay me 12 bucks an hour. Really? So that's why I say $13.6 billion being sent to uh, um, uh, 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 Ukraine at the moment. No, thanks. No, thanks. But that's that's how proxy wars are won. Ask Dwight D. Eisenhower about the military industrial complex. How war right now is is how we sustain and maintain ourselves. So everyone out there who's afraid of World War Two, World War Three, World War Eight. Guess what? It's inevitable, people. It's inevitable. If you don't wake up and tell your politicians, nah, man, enough is enough. We're not with that. We're not with that. Stop playing these war games out there in the ocean. Stop playing these war games with these other countries. Learn to get along with people who don't get along with your way and your modus operandi and your way of doing things. And maybe, and maybe, somehow we can have a more cooperative universe. We shall see. Talk to you later, guys. Until next time.